the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Today we're going to talk with Suzanne Gallagher. She is the Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education. She'll be joining us later this hour. And then in our next hour, we'll talk with Dr. David Kyle Foster with Pure Passion Media. We're going to talk about a new resource that's available online to help uh, those with sexual brokenness and those who uh, serve and minister and love them uh, to better understand issues surrounding that sexual brokenness. That's coming up in the five o'clock hour. So looking forward to that. Well, as you probably recall, on Friday night, we had our first Gospel Sing Live Southern Gospel Music Festival in Salem at uh, Riverfront Park. And uh, Clark, being the host of Gospel Sing, we were celebrating 50 years of the program. It began in 1969 with Daryl Kennedy. Uh, Clark, you are the current host of the program. We've had a, a list of uh, a, a growing list of hosts over the years. You've been there for, what, 11 years hosting Gospel Just Sing? Just about, yep. Yep. Well, this was an exciting evening. It's the first time that we've done a festival of this kind, and I think I think things went really well. I do, too. I do, too. It was a great venue, beautiful night. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of people that stopped by the booth to say hello and talk about the Gospel Sing over the years, and we talked a little bit about how the music has changed back and forth yeah. over, over that time. and. Uh, then we got up there on the stage and introduced the acts, and uh, the tribute quartet was just fantastic. They were the opening act, too, but I really liked them. I thought they were fun. They did some little comedic bits during their mm-hmm. songs. They had a piano accompaniment as well. Of course, there. the Booth Brothers were also uh, yep, featured for yep. the evening. And then Wes Hampton, who was all by himself, but he can sing. He's the uh, tenor with the Gaither Vocal Band right now. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah. In fact, Southern gospel musicians tend to have really well-developed voice vocals and the music is well done. So it was a fun evening. I enjoyed meeting and uh, seeing, again, so many KPDQ listeners. You so, had lots of fans that came by and wanted pictures. It was, it was just a lot of fun. It Not was a, a lot of people came by and asked for my pictures. Like, Where's Georgine? We were in some pictures uh, together, though. Yeah. It, it was just a fun <laughs> evening. So for those of you who were there, just want to say thanks for joining us. And at the end of today's program, we're going to let you know... Well, whether or not something similar to that might... Well, we are going to do it again, but we have a really special guest coming um, next year. I was trying to build some tension, Clark. Now you just let the cat out of the bag. We've already told everybody. We've already told everybody. Well, we told everybody at the event. Anyway, we're going to mention all of that at the end of today's program. So if you are interested in finding out some of those details, we'll share them with you at the latter part of the program. Thanks, Clark. Yep. Thanks. Again, he's been hosting that program now for 11 years here on KPDQ, and the Gospel Sing is the longest-running program on KPDQ, started on our AM station, and of course it's gone strong all of these 50 years. Well, first, taking a look at some of the headlines from the last couple of days, beginning with some headlines from Friday. Since we didn't do a live program, we didn't have an opportunity to cover them, so I'll look back just a bit. With several of his Democratic rivals hosting competing events down the street, President Donald Trump tried to, or rather told 
raucous rally goers in New Hampshire on Thursday evening that they have no choice but to vote for him again in 2020 if they want their 401k to remain intact. Well, of course, in voting, we always have a choice. But he said now we have a bunch of socialists or communists to beat. Speaking to the crowd who jeered at the comment, they're not far uh, away. Does anybody want to pay a 95 percent tax during the rally? The president talked up the economy extensively. The markets in early afternoon had clawed back some of their steep losses from the previous day. The president told rally goers that the markets would have crashed entirely if he were not president and that they uh, should focus on the big picture rather than short term losses that came from a few rocky days on Wall Street. Of course, those rocky days were the result of tariffs that are uh, that have introduced some uncertainty into the whole equation. So it's a more complicated story than that. But rallies are the thing now that the 2020 presidential uh, competition has begun in earnest. Top Democrats and a few Republicans have denounced Israel's decision to block Representatives Ilhan Omar and Representative Rashida Tlaib from entering the country for a planned visit. Uh, Israel's decision came with encouragement from the president, who had tweeted that it would show great weakness to allow them in. Well, Omar accused the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of implementing his own Muslim ban. So they were coming to the country to talk about uh, uh, boycotting the country and the country apparently boycotted them. Now, uh, there was a delegation that came, a delegation of House members that came the week before. They declined to join that group. We were told by the ambassador they would have been welcomed there or for humanitarian reasons. They would be permitted into the country, but not uh, for the purpose for which they had intended to come. While Ilhan and Tlaib, both Muslim and outspoken critics of Israel, have expressed support for boycotts of the country. In a tweet, Tlaib ripped the decision as a sign of weakness. Similarly, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said denying the two Congresswomen entry into the country was a sign of weakness, not strength, and unbecoming of the great state of Israel. Now, they apparently have an obscure law passed several years ago that does not permit those who do not except the existence of the nation of Israel, the state of Israel, to be permitted into the country. But it has uh, been a relatively obscure law. Republican Senator Marco Rubio, he tweeted that I disagree 100 percent with representatives Tlaib and Omar on Israel, but that denying them entry into the country was a mistake. Netanyahu said Israel stands by its decision, arguing that the pair have an ulterior anti-Israel agenda. He said Israel welcomes critics with the exception of those who support boycotts of the Jewish state. And U.S. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez weighed in on the president's supporters Thursday, saying a core part of the president's base is composed of racists and people who could be susceptible to racist views, painting with a very broad brush those who vote for the president for a variety of reasons. She also said many discussions on racism develop into defensiveness because we do not talk about or educate people on recognizing racism. The far-left freshman uh, congresswoman made the remarks during an appearance on the podcast Pod Save America, uh, hosted by former Obama administrator staff Joan Favreau. And following Jeffrey Epstein's death, critics have raised questions on why he was able to live such a lavish and unencumbered life despite being a registered sex offender. Scrutiny has turned to the National Sex Offender Registry, its discrepancies and its lack of uniformity, all of which uh, the disgraced financier may have exploited. Uh, Jeffrey was able to get around some of the registration requirements because he claimed his residence was in the Virgin Islands and his plea deal allowed him to take advantage of a loophole in New Mexico. Cheryl Broder, a former federal prosecutor who teaches criminal law at Fordham Law School, uh, said of the uh, oversight. President Trump has reportedly expressed interest in acquiring the northern island country of Greenland. 
A new report from the Wall Street Journal reveals that the president has asked his advisors whether the U.S. can acquire Greenland and autonomous Danish territory during meetings, uh, dinners and passing conversation because of Greenland's abundant resources and geopolitical importance, according to the White House. While some of Trump's advisors support the idea as a good economic play, others dismiss the inquiry as a fleeting fascination that will never come to fruition. Coincidentally, the president will be making his first visit to Denmark next month, although the sources say the scheduled trip is completely unrelated. By the way, he's not the first U.S. president who has offered to purchase Greenland. The president then was uh, denied that opportunity, as was this president. Allies of Joe Biden have been floating the idea of altering the former vice president's schedule in an effort to reduce the gaffes he's made in recent days. The allies, growing increasingly nervous about Biden's verbal flubs, have said it's an approach that's been suggested to campaign officials on the heels of the former vice president's stumbles. Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke called Thursday for a federal program that would confiscate assault-style weapons after a gunman with an AK-47 killed and injured dozens at a Walmart in his hometown of El Paso, Texas. Two other Democratic presidential candidates, Senator Cory Booker and New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, have also called for the government to confiscate assault-style weapons and compensate the owners as part of a mandatory program. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, the Trump administration is moving ahead with an $8 billion sale of F-16 fighter jets to Taiwan, despite strong objections from China. A U.S. official and others familiar with the deal said on Thursday it would be the largest and most significant sale of weaponry to the self-governing island in years and comes amid stall talks, um, trade talks, and the deteriorating relationship with China. North Korea has rejected any further talks with South Korea, calling its decision completely the fault of South Korea's actions. Meanwhile, early on Friday, North Korea test-fired two missiles into the sea off the eastern coast. The South Korean military said it's the sixth such test in less than a month. Sort of the look at me, look at me test of Korean missiles. Customs and Border Protection Deputy Commissioner Robert Perez says Thursday that the drop in border apprehensions for a second straight month is proof that the deal with Mexico to stem the flow of migrants is working. The Department of Homeland Security reported a significant drop in apprehensions at the southwestern border in June after an agreement with the Mexican government. For the month of July, DHS reported more than 72,000 apprehensions, down from more than 132,000 in May. And an in-depth investigation into sexual abuse allegations at the Boys and Girls Club of America identified more than 250 victims who say they were sexually abused as children at the hands of employees, volunteers and other members, according to a report at Greenwich Time conducted by Hearst, Connecticut Media. The report indicates that some children were molested repeatedly and others while isolated in situations like sleepovers or club trips. And President Trump offered an optimistic outlook of the economy on Sunday and dismissed concerns of a looming recession after losses in financial markets last week. And amid his ongoing trade war with China that some say could determine his reelection chances in 2020. I don't think we're having a uh, recession, he said, speaking to reporters as he returned to Washington from his New Jersey golf club. We're doing tremendously well, end quote. On Twitter, the president tweeted the following. Our economy is the best in the world by far, lowest unemployment ever within almost all categories poised for big growth after trade deals are completed import prices down china eating tariffs help 
uh, helping target farmers from big tariff money coming in, get future for U.S. or great future for USA. Larry Kudlow, director of the National Economic Council under uh, Trump, said uh, that he does not forecast a recession at all. And those who do believe it will happen in 2021 or beyond. On the trade war with China, Trump said Apple CEO Tim Cook privately made a very compelling argument that the administration's tariffs on China's assembled goods have made an unfair impact on the California-based tech giant because its chief rival, Samsung, has conducted most of its manufacturing in South Korea and did not have to pay the levy. Still, the president also warned China against another Tiananmen Square, saying there might not be an end to the trade war if the government resorts to violence to crush demonstrators in Hong Kong. Manhattan prosecutors labeled Jeffrey Epstein a low-level sex offender in 2010 against the recommendations of a state panel of experts and uh, as defense attorneys sought to have the well-connected um, offender um, requirements in New York uh, met the Wall Street uh, document documents through uh, public records requests and report that defense lawyers called Florida police allegations of his uh, encounters with girls inflammatory and unreliable. Meanwhile, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham is adamant about revealing what went on behind the scenes of the Russian investigation and is looking forward to the American people learning about what happened. He pointed to three investigations of the investigators that are taking place, one by his committee, one by Connecticut U.S. Attorney John Durham, who was appointed by Attorney General Bill Barr to conduct a probe, and one by Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. I believe the Horowitz report will be ugly and condemning, Graham uh, uh, said to Maria Bartiromo, on Sunday Morning Futures. Um, not hearing much about these ongoing investigations, the, midi, uh, the media, for the most part, has simply moved on, but those final reports are expected. Amid a growing confrontation between Iran and the West, a year after the president pulled Washington out of Tehran's nuclear deal with world powers, an Iranian supertanker the U.S. has suspected of uh, being tied to a sanctioned organization has lifted anchor and started moving away from uh, Gibraltar. A marine traffic monitoring data showed late Sunday the trail left Left by GPS data on MaritimeTraffic.com, a vessel tracking service, showed the Iran-flagged uh, Adrian Darya uh, 1, previously known as Grace 1, moving shor- uh, shortly before midnight. The vessels hauling $130 million worth of light crude oil had been detained for a month in the British overseas territory for allegedly attempting to breach European Union sanctions on Syria. Its next destination is not immediately known. And the president also spoke out Sunday on reports his administration has been looking into buying Greenland. He said Denmark has been losing money by keeping it, thought the United States might benefit by buying it. But Greenland's political leaders have said the country's not for sale. National Review's David French highlighted more nefarious uh, uh, actions but uh, behind the ban, uh, banning rather of Representative Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib from Israel, saying the most important element of the story is the fact that two um, American congresswomen shunned a bipartisan congressional delegation to Israel to go on an independent trip to Israel sponsored by uh, vicious anti-Semites. Another important element of the story is that, as of today, the mainstream media have whitewashed Omar and Tlaib's associations. And a federal appeals court sided with the Trump administration on Friday in the legal battle over its efforts to limit asylum claims from Central America, blocking for now a nationwide injunction that blocked the implementation of the rule. The San Francisco Federal Appeals um, Court, uh, rather Federal Appeals Court for the Ninth Circuit on Friday, ruled that the injunction imposed by the California federal judge can only apply in states within the court's jurisdiction in the western U.S., 
Um, declaring the criminal justice system ruined by pervasive racism and corporate profiteering. Senator Bernie Sanders proposed a massive overhaul Sunday that would free many drug convicts, abolish the death penalty in solitary confinement, and promote an unarmed civilian court to replace the police for low-level calls. Presumably as a way to deflect from criticism over her checkered past of claiming Native American ancestry, Elizabeth Warren posted a lengthy proposal on a medium Friday morning in uh, which she vowed to fix some of the problems pertaining to tribal nations. Uh, Throughout her lengthy post, Warren makes several proposals from making Native Americans a national concern to affordable housing, to economic opportunities for tribal people, and to respect for uh, Native veterans. Meanwhile, the Washington Times reveals that Warren's uh, binge spending total more than $5 trillion over a decade. That sum does not uh, include other high-priced items on the liberal wish list, such as government-run health care. And a group of high school students in Southern California gave a Nazi salute and sang a Nazi song during an awards ceremony last year. According to video reviewed by the Daily Beast, the video shows about 10 members of the boys' water polo team at Pacifica High School in Garden Grove, California, throwing the salute once used to greet Adolf Hitler while singing a Nazi marching song played for German troops during World War II. It's the second such incident in the region in the year. And an Ohio man has been arrested for making threats toward a local Jewish community center in New Middleton. On Friday, the FBI Violent Crime Task Force raided the man's house and seized a cache of weapons and ammunition, including double dozens of rounds of ammunition, multiple semi-automatic weapons, a gas mask and bulletproof armor. The suspect is an avowed anti-Semite and white nationalist and attended the deadly Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. During the raid on his house on Friday, police also discovered anti-Semitic and white nationalist propaganda. And according to the Associated Press, an Islamic State jihadi bombed a wedding in Kabul, Afghanistan, over the weekend, killing 63 and wounding 182. The emergence of the Islamic State affiliate in recent years might be the greatest threat to Afghan civilians as the U.S. and Taliban seek an agreement to end nearly 18 years of fighting. While the U.S. wants Taliban assurances that Afghanistan will no longer be used as a launch pad for global terror attacks, there appears to be no guarantee of protection for Afghan civilians. And Hong Kong protest organizer Civil Human Rights Front estimates that more than 1.7 million people gathered in the rain on Sunday for the city's 11th consecutive week of demonstrations. What started as peaceful protests in June, including a June 9th demonstration that drew an estimated million people, has since escalated, raising concern of potential Chinese military intervention. And two Russian nuclear monitoring stations specifically designed to detect radiation went silent in the days following an explosion of what many believe was a nuclear-powered missile earlier this month during tests at a remote base, a nuclear official said in an email on Sunday. The Guardian reported that radiation levels there, a nearby city, increased 20 times above normal for about a half hour after the explosion. It's been reported that residents in the area have been stocking up on iodine, which helps reduce the effects of radiation. And on this day in history, in 1812, the USS Constitution defeats the British frigate HMS Geary uh, off Nova Scotia during the War of 1812, earning the nickname Old Ironsides. And in 1848, the New York Herald reports the discovery of gold in California. And you know the rest of that history. On this day in history, 1909, the first automobile races are run at the just-opened Indianapolis Motor Speedway. In 1934, a plebiscite in Germany approves the vesting of sole executive power to Adolf Hitler. 
And on this day in history, 1976, President Gerald Ford wins the Republican presidential nomination at the party's convention in Kansas City. On this day in 2014, a video released by Islamic State militants purports to show the beheading of American journalist James Foley as retribution for U.S. airstrikes in Iraq. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we're going to talk with Suzanne Gallagher. She is the executive director of Parents' Rights in Education. We'll fill you in when she joins us in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 36 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, if it hasn't already started for you and your family, school is about to start. And I was reminded of, through an email about the work of Parents' Rights in Education and its executive director, Suzanne Gallagher, and wanted to make sure that you were reminded of an opportunity to become uh, well-educated about what your rights as parents are and what uh, parents' rights in education uh, might provide in terms of a way to work with other uh, parents as well. Suzanne Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Georgine. Love the opportunity. Let me just first invite you to refresh our listeners' memories of uh, what parents' rights in education is and how they can uh, affiliate with a, a local chapter. Oh, terrific. Thank you so much. Parents' Rights in Education um, is a nonprofit organization. We are national at this point. We're welcoming anybody and everybody <laughs> to participate because the issues that we face are national issues. And our mission um, is to empower parents, uh, bottom line, in, in uh, directing the education of their children. We value students, and we empower parents, and we enlighten communities. And um, right now we have um, we ha- we have an initiative on to set up chapters or small local groups in school districts all over the country. Let's talk about some of the issues that parents might be concerned about. I mean, when I was in school, that list was fairly short and relatively innocuous. These days, there are very serious issues. Uh, that parents face and understanding what what the rules are, what you can and cannot do as a parent uh, to embolden uh, parents to advocate for their children is more important than ever. What are some of the issues that parents are yeah. facing? <clears throat> well, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm on our website right now, Georgine, which is I, I like to do this with individuals, um, and we have a drop down list under issues, and it includes comprehensive sexuality education, uh, which is not abstinence education. Uh, and now in the state of Oregon, it is in um, grades K through 12. It is taught in every in every um, class, in every age group. And um, it's, it's very comprehensive. And they begin teaching uh, things like gender identity in kindergarten. Uh, then under, under that, we have the, uh, the LGBTQ agenda. Uh, there, there's a whole uh, list of items. Um, that are part of this agenda and how they have become um, very, very influential in our public schools. Um, And and we can go into any one of these with you individually. Uh, One of the biggest problems um, that we see in the schools now, or one of the biggest issues, but it's, it's again, in this genre, Mm -hmm. is the gender transitioning for minors. Now, that is part now part of the LGBTQ agenda. They put a little plus mark uh, by their name to include all of these other things. So gender transitioning for minors, very, very 
uh, disturbing because they're, um, you know, telling grade school age kids that they can change their gender. Then you have the school-based health clinics. These are clinics literally that are in the schools. Your children can uh, can be treated in these clinics, can have examinations, can receive um, uh, medication, can be referred for abortion or um, uh, hormone uh, treatment to change their gender without parents' knowledge or consent. Uh, then you have safety and privacy issues that pertains to the transgender the transgender issue where uh, opposite sex students are coming into uh, restrooms and locker rooms. Um, obscenity in the schools there is uh, obscenity is uh, taught or used in the schools because of an exemption in the law. We do have obscenity laws in our state, whereas you and I, Georgine, as adults. Uh, cannot show a minor child, a minor, uh, obscene materials, uh, people who work at a public school, a library, or in a museum are exempt from that law and, and can show obscene materials to minors. And then the last item um, that we have on our website now is viewpoint discrimination, um, and that has to do with um, discriminating against students based upon their, their belief. Mm-hmm. Either their political belief, their um, their religious beliefs, uh, no matter what it is, they they are being discriminated against now in the schools, and there have been lawsuits pertaining to that. And we're going to add a couple more uh, tabs. One is um, has to do with counseling, um, because who would have thunk it? You know, um, your child can go to school, they can be counseled uh, to change their gender, and you don't. You're not privileged to know anything yeah, about you're not, that. Not part of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, you know, and we're talking, you know, K through 12. Yeah. I think one of the frustrating so the things for, uh, for many parents is that they learn after the fact something that's already happened, and they're just now informed after the fact. Um, I know that one of the things that you all can do is to help keep parents informed of the kinds of things to think about. Most of us would never conceive of, you know, for example, a middle school or an elementary school. We wouldn't think about some of these issues being relevant. And yet these mature themes are very much a part of, of what uh, student, young students are uh, facing today. If our exactly. listeners are interested in um, becoming a, a part of the organization, of associating with a chapter in order that they might better represent the interests of not only their children, but children in our community, how do they connect with parents' rights in education? Well, thank you. The best way is for, for them to visit our website, parentsrightsined.com, and go to the Join Us tab and fill out the form and uh, request to join a a local group. And then we will put you in touch with a local group. Now we have two groups that are planning meetings. Uh, One is tomorrow night and Wednesday night and or Wednesday night. And then, um, and that's in Canby. And then we have um, another um, uh, chapter uh, get together that is taking place um, in Troutdale, Corbett, Gresham, Sandy, all of those areas, or East Portland, we're mm-hmm. calling it, or East Portland, uh, that would include Estacada, Boring, Damascus, any of those areas, and that is Tuesday, August 27th. So again, so, that information is available on the website? No, they need to they need to fill out the form and send it to us. Okay, okay. Okay, because we need to know 
who's coming to our to our events. They're not public events, although you and I are discussing it publicly on the radio. <laughs> but um, you know, we'd like to know who's coming to our events. Yeah, that we makes, want them to be peaceful. <laughs> makes perfect in light of in light sense. of last weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the, the weekends before that. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, again, parents' rights in education. I would encourage you to go to the website for more information. Again, that's parents' rights in ed. Uh, dot com and you can learn more you can sign up if you're interested in becoming a part of uh, of the chapter um do you f- see this uh, coming school year uh, a challenging one for parents who want to stay informed and anticipate some of the challenges that uh, you just uh, mentioned yeah i do absolutely georgine and it's going to be continually more challenging and probably from a curriculum standpoint uh, it, it is really all about comprehensive sexuality education. And so the first thing I would do would be to go on our website and look up. We do have a search bar um, and uh, download an opt-out form. And I would, I would get that opt-out form ready. <laughs> and you have to have a separate one for each child, and it must be filed with the school um, every year. So if you have one from last year that's on file at your school, you'll need a new one this year. And the reason I say that is because uh, very often by the time parents find out that mm-hmm. something is going to be taught, uh, their child is in the class. <laughs> they're, they're probably listening to it right now. They may not hear about it until later. So by doing that, you're, you're putting the school district on, um, on notice that, that, you know, you're concerned about, about the um, curriculum. And, of course, you know, when you visit that, the office or call the office to inquire, ask them what, what is the name of the CSE curriculum you use. Uh, because on our website also under um, Comprehensive Sexuality Education, we have a resource button. You can click on that and go to the 15 Harmful Elements Analysis. And we have analyses of probably 20 different curriculums that are used nationwide. Sometimes they use a curriculum only in the grade school, or maybe this is a high school level curriculum. School districts have the power to choose whatever curriculum they want, but for the most part, they're choosing curriculums that you and I would probably not approve of. Um, They're promoting um, sexual behavior at a young age, et cetera, et cetera, teaching students. Most of them are age-inappropriate and not medically accurate. Those are the two um, areas that are the most concerning and that we hear from the most from parents. So it looks like we just got an inquiry. Excellent. Thank you so Excellent. much. But so, so, so the point, you know, the point is you need to know what's going on in your school. And, um, and that's your right as a parent. Absolutely. To know what is being taught to your child. Absolutely. Suzanne, thank you so much for talking with us. And we'll okay. make sure that information oh. is on the website. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Again, Suzanne Gallagher, Executive Director of Parents' Rights in Education. You can find the website, parentsrightsined.com, and uh, learn more. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Portland mayor stands by his decision to allow Antifa to block traffic and to hassle motorists. Now, there are two sides to this story, but the uh, when the event broke up, apparently it continued with Antifa. The Portland mayor came under fire over viral video showing that protesters blocking traffic, harassing drivers. But he says he supports the decision by police to watch from a distance without getting involved, which is troubling to some of us uh, who... 
uh, might be the subject of that kind of attention. Antifa declares that they are here to protect Portland. Uh, and the groups that come aren't really welcome either. They're from other parts of the uh, of the country. Anyway, at one point, the activists chased down 74-year-old Kent Hauser after he made a right turn against their wishes, pounding on his silver Lexus, breaking a window. The car sustained thousands of dollars in damage, he told the, Oregon- the Oregonian. Even so, Mr. Wheeler insists the motorists should feel completely safe coming into downtown Portland. Demonstrators didn't obtain a permit before holding the uh, march in October to protest the death of... Uh, Patrick Kimmons, a 27-year-old black man who was shot and killed in September by police. The shooting is under investigation. The mayor has been accused of taking a kid glove approach to protests that routinely roil the enclave on the left and the right, such as the summer occupation of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Building, uh, which saw Portland police uh, refuse to assist the immigration enforcement officers unless they were in physical danger. This is the kind of uh, street anarchy that routinely happens where I live. That was a quote from Mr. No, who wasn't at the event this last week, but uh, he has been the uh, the object of it. More rioting broke out Saturday night as Antifa activists brawled with protesters who turned out for a flash march for law and order organized by Patriot Prayer, which prayer rather, which is a right wing group. I wish they would stay home. Portland police made no arrest during the uh, melee, even though officers observed people in possession of hard knuckle gloves, firearms, batons, knives. Officers also observed people using pepper spray. They responded to the scene and used less lethal munitions to break up the fight, prevent further violence. The uh, Portland police chief said we'll continue to investigate the incident and ask uh, anyone uh, with information to report. Well, it didn't uh, end up being as bad as uh, was anticipated, and perhaps that was more of a suggestion than what was intended. But nonetheless, it is always frustrating when the streets of Portland erupt with uh, protesters on one or the other side of the aisle, and um, those in authority don't seem willing to address it um, on either side. Well, a gunman who carried out a deadly mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio this month had cocaine and other drugs in his system at the time. That's according to a coroner's report. In a news conference on Thursday, the Montgomery County coroner, Dr. Kent Harshbarger, said cocaine, antidepressants and alcohol were found in Connor Bett's system when he opened fire with an AR-15 style gun in the city's historic Oregon district on the 4th killing nine people before police shot and killed him. That shooting came just hours after another deadly gun rampage, this time in El Paso, Texas. Um, Harshbarger added that investigators also found a pipe device and a clear bag containing cocaine on the 24-year-old. The coroner also told reporters that two people shot by um, uh, the shooter also were shot by police, but none fatally. He said all the deadly gunshot wounds to the nine victims came from the uh, perpetrator. Harshberger said police shot uh, the shooter about 24 times in all, mostly striking his upper torso and lower extremities. Dayton Police Chief Richard Beale said that the officer's goal at the time was to immediately stop the killing. Well, on Tuesday, uh, Beale said that uh, the shooter um, had shot 26 people in the span of 32 seconds before responding officers fatally shot him. Surveillance footage released this week, this past week, which was pieced together from several local businesses, showed him spending nearly two hours in the area before his spree began. He was first caught on camera in the area at about 11.04 when he parked his car and walked to a bar uh, with his sister and another companion. Of course, his sister was one of his victims. Police said the footage strongly suggests that his um, companion, his sibling, who was uh, wounded in the rampage, had no idea um, uh, what he was uh, going to do, nor did he uh, have any knowledge of the weapons that were in the trunk of that vehicle. Now, apparently, um, uh, 
his siblings uh, and uh, the companion. All three remained at the bar until 1213. Uh, the shooter left the bar alone, went across the street to another a bar, staying there until 1242. Police said he then went back to his car, changed into a hoodie, took items out of the trunk, and the rest we now know. Investigators have said there was uh, nothing in his background to prevent him from buying the guns that he possessed, which was purchased online uh, from a dealer in Texas and shipped to another firearm dealer in Dayton, in the Dayton area. And the New York City police officer accused in the 2014 death of Eric Gardner uh, that sparked nationwide outrage has been fired. Commissioner James O'Neill announced this afternoon, spurring a furious response from the department's police union, which blasted the decision as cave into anti-police extremists. O'Neill, who once uh, who said rather it was an extremely difficult decision, said during a midday news conference that he made his final call in the late uh, last couple of days, rather, in the case that has spanned nearly five years. None of us can take back our decisions, O'Neill told reporters, especially when they lead to the death of another human being. Well, Panitalio had been suspended since the 2nd of August after a department disciplinary judge recommended his termination. Uh, the uh, Mr. O'Neill said, I agree he had no longer effective. He could no longer effectively serve as a New York City police officer. The decision by NYPD Deputy Commissioner of Trials Rosemary uh, Maldonado came amid a ruling by the U.S. Department of Justice last month to not bring civil rights charges against Panitalio. Uh, uh, Pantelio, whose case has become a national story and even seeped into the Democratic presidential debates. The NYPD union blasted O'Neill's decision, saying he has chosen politics and his own self-interest over the police officer he claims to lead. He's chosen to uh, cringe in fear of the anti-police extremist rather than standing up for New Yorkers. Lynch added the damage is already done to the department, which he described as rudderless and frozen. Well, when asked by a reporter whether uh, Mayor de Plasio forced his hand, O'Neill said the dismissal was his choice. This is the decision that the police commissioner makes, he said, calling Garner's death an irreversible tragedy that must have a consequence. De Blasio has never said whether he believed uh, Pantelio should lose his job but promised justice to Garner's family. Questions about the handling of the case of dogged de Blasio during his run for president with some protesters at the recent debate in Detroit chanting fire Pantaleo. New York Attorney General James said Garner's family has awaited five years and that some semblance of justice is finally being served, that there has to be some consequence to the outcome of that shooting. Meanwhile, New York City's uh, chief medical examiner has ruled that uh, disgraced financier and accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein did commit suicide by hanging himself in his cell last week. In a brief statement on Friday, Dr. Barbara Sampson said her rulings came following a careful review of all the investigative information, including complete autopsy findings. You might recall last week there was some question about some bones that were broken in the neck area that are more common to homicide than suicide, although it is possible for those injuries to occur during a suicide. Well, Epstein was found unresponsive in his cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan early on Saturday, was pronounced dead hours later. His lawyer said in a statement late Friday that they were not satisfied with Samson's ruling and vowed to conduct their own investigation, including seeking to obtain any video of the area around his cell from the time leading to his death. Epstein had been waiting a trial on federal sex trafficking charges involving underage girls. He was placed on suicide watch last month after he was uh, found on the floor in his cell with bruising on his neck. 
Multiple reports say Epstein was taken off suicide watch days later and that that had been at his and his attorney's request. Meanwhile, Attorney General William Barr announced on Monday the appointment of a new director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons following the shocking suicide of accused child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein inside the federal lockup. Dr. Kathleen Hawk Sawyer is set to take over as director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, a position she previously served in for 11 years, beginning in 92, according to the Department of Justice. The former acting director, uh, who was appointed by then Attorney General Jeff Sessions in May of 2018, was resigning uh, to a role as deputy in charge of the Bureau's reentry program, where he will work with Barr on putting in place the First Step Act, a criminal justice overhaul. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Six minutes after five o'clock is our time. James Blind is our producer. Clark Hilton engineering today's program. Today we'll talk with Dr. David Kyle Foster with Pure Passion Media. One of their resources is made available online free for the first time. We'll tell you more about that when he joins us. Also, we'll have a Gospel Sing Live debrief. As you might recall, it was this Friday night that our Gospel Sing Live a Southern Gospel Music Festival took place in the Salem area on Riverfront Park. We had a great time, and I have to say it was so fun uh, meeting KPDQ listeners, some for the first time, others seeing you again. And I so appreciate your encouragement, and um, the the music was great, the time was great. We'll talk more about that with uh, Justin Mansfield and Clark Hilton, who is the host of Gospel Sing. And of course, that whole festival was about 50 years of the Gospel Sing program here on KPDQ. It's been around for a very long time. That celebration is going to stretch into, well, celebrations to come. And we'll give you some of those details, as well as um, who's going to be featured next time around. We even have a date, same location. We even have a date and the name of the uh, featured artist will be uh, coming. So that's coming up in our final segment of today's program. So listen around for that opportunity. We're uh, taking a look at some of the news items that have um, occurred over the last couple of days. I uh, wasn't here on Friday to cover some of those headlines. And so I'm catching up just a bit. Uh, An emotional Michigan representative, Rashida uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, today, held back tears during a news conference as she and Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar condemned Israel's recent decision to impose restrictions on visiting the country with the Democrats calling for Congress to get involved. Things escalating. Uh, We in the United States have a constructive role to play, Omar said in the news conference in St. Paul, Minnesota. We give Israel more than $3 million in aid every year. This is uh, predicated... uh, uh, on them being an important ally in the region and the only democracy in the Middle East, but denying a visit to duly elected members of Congress is not consistent with being an ally. Now, to back up just a little bit, a week earlier, members of Congress, about, I don't remember now how many of them, but several dozen of them, traveled to Israel uh, for a trip. This pair decided not to take that trip, but to go rather with an organization that is considered anti-Semitic. Um, And they were planning on um, uh, emphasizing their BDS uh, movement that would boycott Israel. And uh, some would suggest, go so far as to suggest that Israel has no right to exist. Well, there's an obscure law in Israel that says they don't permit people into the country who advocate for their um, uh, disillusion, if you will. Uh, So that's sort of the backstory. Uh, The two were not permitted to come into the country to be a part of a conference apparently around that subject, but... 
um, Rashida uh, Tlaib, I should say Representative Tlaib, was invited to come to the country uh, for humanitarian reasons, saying that she wanted to visit her grandmother. And that was one of the reasons she wanted to travel to the country. She was going to be permitted for that. She decided not to do so. Well, Omar, uh, Representative Omar, said lawmakers have a responsibility to conduct oversight over our government's foreign policy and what happens with the millions of dollars we send in aid. Well, the two Muslim lawmakers held an afternoon news conference uh, at the state capitol in Minnesota with Palestinian American and Jewish American residents there who said they also have affected, uh, been affected adversely by travel restrictions uh, to Israel and the Palestinian territories. The purpose of the event, Omar said, was to highlight the human costs of the occupation and travel restrictions on Palestinians and others. Now, this has become something of a partisan issue, but it didn't have to be. Um, the decision to, um, they went on to say, to ban me and my colleagues, the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress, is nothing less than an attempt by an ally of the United States to suppress our ability to do our jobs as elected officials. Now, that may be something of an over-dramatization of the uh, events, but it probably was not in Israel's best interest to deny their access, which was going to be granted until the president stepped in, suggesting that it would uh, demonstrate weakness on the part of Israel if they were allowed to do so. Now, they did have that law to fall back on, but nonetheless, um, the back and forth continues. And once again, these two freshman lawmakers have uh, taken the spotlight away from some of the other issues that the Democrat Party would much rather be talking about um, in order to uh, squelch this latest um, thing for the two of them. Um, as I mentioned, Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, indicated that she will not travel to the West Bank to visit her family, despite getting permission hours before from Israel's interior minister following a diplomatic firestorm. Um, and the uh, Israeli um, minister saying that she cared more about the uh, politics and hatred for Israel than she cared about her grandmother and the back and forth continue. Now, one of the reasons these these uh, two lawmakers were not permitted into Israel, we are being told, is that the organization that planned this trip once referred to suicide bombings as sacrifice for the cause and have been very anti-Israel. There was a cartoon on one of the uh, lawmakers' website that was uh, the second place winner in Iran's cartoon contest for denying the Holocaust. So there, the associations. Uh, made them less desirable, uh, according to Israel and other observers, uh, to allow them in for the purpose that the two of them isolated from the larger group uh, to enter the country. Well, Representatives uh, Omar and Tlaib were ramping up their criticism of the country, but in defending that decision, the Israeli government cited the radical history of the group that was slated to sponsor their trip, as opposed to the trip that took place earlier with their colleagues. That group named Mif- uh, Mifta has a long record of anti-Israel rhetoric that includes downplaying attacks on Israelis, even describing suicide bombers as sacrificing their lives for the cause. It's a record poised to uh, cease new scrutiny as these um, Uh, Democrats reportedly weigh retaliatory measures in Congress for the snub of these two freshmen. Uh, The organization that was funded for their trip, which is an avid supporter of BDS, boycott, divestment and sanctions, and among uh, whose members are those who have expressed support for terrorism against Israel. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said in a statement, he cited uh, Mifta as he alleged the lawmakers had ulterior anti-Israel motives in their trip to Israel. For instance, a 2006 Mifta report dealing with the second Intifa, a wave of Palestinian violence in the early 2000s, discussed a 2002 Jerusalem suicide bomb 
a bombing under section title Fighting, uh, Fighting Back. It described the attack where Wafa Idris blew herself up uh, with a bomb that killed an Israeli and injured more than 100 others as the beginning of a string of Palestinian women dedicated to sacrificing their lives for the cause. Now, was Israel unable to take the weight of the criticism of these two uh, lawmakers? Uh, that's one of the issues that's currently being uh, discuss, but they will not be permitted into the country on the trip organized by MIFTA. Uh, one member who was interested in seeing a family member on the West Bank was going to be permitted, but she decided that uh, something in her would die if she were to come into the country under those circumstances. And again, the spotlight is on the two of them rather than on the issues that the Democrat Party had wanted in the 2020 in the run up to the 2020 election to be their primary focus. Well, the White House on Monday fired back at Democrats with these reports that they may be planning retaliatory moves in Congress against the top two American and Israeli diplomats. Uh, The White House spokesman Hogan Gidley said Congresswoman Mashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar have a well-documented history of anti-Semitic comments, anti-Semitic social media posts, and anti-Semitic relationships. Israel has the right to prevent people who want to destroy it from entering the country. Now, their ambassador said earlier today in a, in a press interview that there are members, uh, there are residents, citizens of Israel who are not permitted into the United States because of things they have said and done, and they, that Israel had accepted that the United States should do the same. This will not resolve the issue, but nonetheless, that's where it stands at this moment. Well, a federal appeals court sided with the Trump administration on Friday in the legal battle over its efforts to limit asylum claims from Central America, blocking at least for now a nationwide injunction that blocked the implementation of that rule. Last month, a California federal judge blocked the rule that would require migrants to first apply in one of the countries they cross on their way to the United States with certain exceptions. The rule is tailored to target Central Americans from the northern triangle of Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras, who would travel across multiple countries, including Mexico, before claiming asylum into the United States. But the San Francisco Federal Appeals Court for the Ninth Circuit on Friday ruled that the injunction imposed by the California federal judge can only apply in states within the court's jurisdiction in the western U.S. The ruling says that the court failed to discuss why a nationwide injunction was necessary to remedy the harm alleged by those immigration advocacy groups named in the lawsuit. The district court clearly erred by failing to consider whether nationwide relief is necessary to remedy plaintiffs' alleged harms, the ruling says. And based on the limited records below, or before us rather, we do not believe a nationwide injunction is justified. Well, the Ninth Circuit will hear oral arguments the 1st of October on the merits of the lawsuit opposing the asylum policies. Now, this ruling marks the latest in a series of legal battles. The administration is fighting on multiple fronts on the question of immigration and asylum. The administration has said that in order to combat the escalating crisis at the border, loopholes that place limits on how long the administration can detain family units and who is eligible to claim asylum need to be closed. This was their effort to do that. We'll continue to follow that story as it inevitably develops. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, a new report from the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation shows that the private union pension crisis is only getting worse. And now Congress is poised to make it, well, worse still. I know that's not altogether surprising. Not only are uh, many multi-employer pension plans approaching insolvency, but the situation is so bad that even the pension safety net 
Uh, the multi-employer program will be bankrupt in just six years, leaving pensioners with mere pennies on the dollar in promised benefits. Now, unfortunately, the House of Representatives passed a bill just before leaving for August recess that's going to make the situation worse. Not only would the Rehabilitation for Multi-Employer Pension Act, or H.R. 397, exacerbate the problem, it would put taxpayers on the hook for potentially $638 billion or more in broken pension promises. This was never supposed to happen. Now, for starters, nobody, not a private company, not a union, not an individual, not a government, should be allowed to promise workers a pension benefit and then not be held liable to pay it. That's why federal law requires that private companies with their own single employer pension plans follow specific rules and financial assumptions to ensure that they set aside enough money to cover their promised benefits. That only makes sense. Well, state and local government pensions are exempt from these rules because they're sovereign entities with regard to their own employees' pensions. So they're not held to the same high standard, which means you promise what you can deliver. Multi-employer pension plans are exempt from these rules because powerful unions successfully lobbied Congress for special treatment. They got it by arguing that their own pooling of employers um, across the country would serve as an insurance mechanism against pension losses. Well, that safeguard has failed catastrophically. The average multi-employer pension plan, of which there are about 1,400 across the country, has set aside only 42 percent as much as it needs to pay promised benefits. And no, Wall Street and industry declines are not to blame. The simple truth is that if plans had used the appropriate assumptions, set aside the necessary funds and increased contributions when shortfalls started to develop, promised benefits would have been there regardless of stock market swings or employer bankruptcies. There's supposed to be a second backstop for the roughly 10.6 million workers and retirees with multi-employer pensions. However, uh, the... um, Uh, Self-funded government entity, the PBGC, provided insurance to private pension plans, just didn't measure up. Unfortunately, much like the uh, multi-employer plans themselves, these multi-employer programs are operated outside of sound financial rules. Bowing to the union's desire for lower premiums, Congress failed to run the multi-employer program like a private insurance company. Now it's massively underfunded and will be bankrupt in 2025. Now that's supposed to be the backup plan. Because this plan uh, relies exclusively on incoming premiums to pay insured benefits, it's going to be able to pay only about 10% of insured benefits for retirees of failed multi-employer pension plans, and that's what's happening absent any government action. Well, it's not fair to workers who are promised pensions. Government's uh, actions is needed to protect pensioners and minimize pension losses, but simply transferring private unions and employers' broken pension promises onto taxpayers is not a viable solution. That's exactly what the bill passed by the House of Representatives will do, however. Under House Resolution 397, which is similar to the Butch-Lewis Act, already before the Senate, insolvent union pension plans would receive taxpayer dollars to invest in the stock market as well as loans to cover their broken pension promises. So they would risk taxpayer money in the stock market and make loans to insolvent pension plans which seems a bit reckless and, well, a little bit wrong. And instead of uh, fixing the underlying problems, the bailout without reform proposal would incentivize union pension plans to become more underfunded so they could receive taxpayer funds. Now, that would be particularly unfair considering that Congress hasn't even addressed its inability to pay its own Social Security obligations to taxpayers, which at some point is going to be an absolute requirement. Well, instead of costly bailout without reform, Congress should improve the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation solvency, prevent plans from overpromising and underperforming pensions and or underfunding them, rather, and help plans minimize um, 
pension reductions across uh, workers. But that hasn't happened yet. And depending on what happens when Congress comes back, it doesn't look likely to happen anytime soon. Well, as Americans, we're greatly indebted not only to the men and women who have fought and died for our country, but also to the thinkers, the statesmen, the innovators and ordinary people who gave us the founding principles that we aspire to uh, to live by. Well, this um, debt is paid back not with money, but with a commitment to the active and vigilant self-government of a republic in keeping with the principles and virtues of the founders. Yet they would uh, shudder at our current $22 trillion in gross national debt. By the end of 2019, this year, the debt will be close to $23 trillion. That amounts to a credit card bill of $69,200 for every man, woman, and child in America. And at some point, it's got to be paid. But that's only the money that the government has explicitly borrowed. It doesn't include any measure of unfunded obligations, money the government doesn't have, but nonetheless promised to spend. Unfunded obligations are often considered problems for future citizens, but with Medicare and Social Security both running cash flow deficits and running out of money in 2026 and 2035, respectively, these future obligations have become a current burden. Social Security's unfunded obligations alone amount to $13.9 trillion. Now, this means that over the next 75 years, the government has promised to pay $13.9 trillion more than it expects to collect in payroll taxes. At $42,200 per person, Social Security's shortfall alone is about as much as the average person earns in a year. It's enough to buy a new sedan to pay a a year's rent in a median rent two-bedroom apartment. If Social Security's shortfall wasn't bad enough, it pales in comparison to Medicare's $42.3 trillion unfunded obligation at $128,500 per person, a whopping $514,000 for a family of four, America's runaway Great Society program lauded by socialists as a model for the future of health care is already breaking America's bank. All combined, every American effectively owns $240,000 worth of U.S. debt and unfunded obligations, an amount equal to the average home price in the United States. Just imagine having to pay two mortgages instead of just one to cover past government excesses. And while some politicians will be quick to blame this um, gargantuan bill on recent tax cuts, it's excess spending, not a shortage of taxes, that's driving America's deficits and debt. After all, the tax cut represent a much smaller percentage of gross domestic product than Social Security's rising shortfalls that nobody in Washington seems willing to address. Well, the tax to make Social Security solvent by covering its year's uh, yearly tax flow balance and gradually increasing it to a point of sustainability will require yearly payroll tax increases for the foreseeable future. This year alone, we would need an immediate increase of 13.5% from the current level of 12.4%, and in 2035, it would exceed 15.5%. That's if we were to respond um, to the crisis as it is unfolding in the near term. That's not going to happen because it's politically uh, considered suicide. So we'll just continue to fumble along until future generations uh, bear the full weight of our uh, unwillingness to address the issue. Well, um, President Trump makes it rain when compared to the rest of the 2020 presidential candidates. Wealth Report has uncovered the financial surprises about some of the 2020 presidential candidates. And the Forbes senior editor, Dan Alexander, broke down the net worth of the 2020 presidential field. Trump topped the list with a net of uh, three point one billion dollars, followed by 
Tom Steyer with a cash flow of $1.6 billion. Can you imagine having that kind of money? I can't even imagine it. Followed by John Delaney with $200 million, Michael Bennett with $15 million, Elizabeth Warren with $12 million. Rounding out the bottom of the list, Hawaii Representative Tulsi Gabbard, $500,000, Tim Ryan, $500,000, Pete Buttigieg, $100,000. The list may be revealing more than just faces and numbers. Each one of these people has their own story, and you can learn a lot by looking at how somebody made their money. That's what the senior editor from Forbes, Dan Alexander, suggests during an appearance on Morning with Maria. If you look at Beto O'Rourke, you know most of it comes from his family. If you look at John Delaney, the moderate Democrat, it makes sense. He made a a lot of money um, in the business world. The list also disclosed some unforeseen facts. Uh, he said, including how some of the candidates became millionaires. One of the uh, other things that was surprising, especially as you look toward the bottom of the list, is how valuable some of these government pensions are. The people who stayed in government for a while, uh, you can stay in government for years and you just become a millionaire based on that. So that doesn't happen in most other careers that you might enter, but in government, it can. The report also provided a transparency score for each of the candidates. Alexander said the candidates checked all the boxes when it came to the basic questions. However, when pressed on bigger issues, they were buttoned uh, up, rather. Like for Buttigieg, how much student debt, that's a big thing. All these Democrats are talking about what they're going to uh, do for student debt or to it. Um, So that's a policy that uh, could affect his personal fortune, and he uh, wouldn't answer that question. If you look at Elizabeth Warren, you know on her disclosure, she listed some of the largest assets as a million dollars plus, and she uh, wouldn't specify exactly how many millions of dollars plus they are. And so, you know, when uh, when Forbes started, they thought that in order to contrast um, some of the candidates from the president, a lot of these candidates would try to be as open as possible. And at the end, they found out that, yes, they were more transparent than the president about their finances, but none of them were totally opening their books. But it is an interesting way to learn something about uh, the candidates and their money. You might want to check it out. Again, Forbes 2020 presidential candidates net worth. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Dr. David Kyle Foster with Pure Passion Media. They have a new resource. It's uh, now available online and free of charge. We'll give you the important details in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A year or so ago, I had an opportunity to view a documentary at the Restored Hope Network conference. It was titled Transformed, Finding Peace with Your God-Given Gender. I, uh, that very year, had a conversation with my next guest because I thought it was important for you to know about this resource. And I invited uh, Dr. Foster back because Pure Passion Media has now made this documentary film available online for free. It joins their first two multi-award-winning films on YouTube, and I asked him to talk with us today about the ministry of Pure Passion Media and this new offering. Dr. David Kyle Foster, thank you so much for joining us today. That's my pleasure. Let's begin by just talking about Pure Passion Media for our listeners who might not be familiar with the work that you all do. Well, we we began in 1987, and we have been, it's been our intention to uh, cover every sexual brokenness area so that people can see the common roots and therefore the common solutions uh, to their brokenness. And so we exist to train the church how to help sexually broken people in a more redemptive manner. 
as well as to teach um, people who are sexually broken uh, the provision that God has for getting them out of their trap. And of course, that presumes what has become, shockingly to me, a very controversial, and that is that God does, in fact, and can, is willing to transform individuals who come to him in their sexual brokenness to restore his original intent. Yes, uh, God can transform and uh, deliver anyone from anything. He's God, after all. And so the process of engaging God in, in that is to pursue an intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus was always pointing us to the Father. We were to pray to the Father. And so many people aren't doing that because they've had a bad experience with their father or father figure. But that is the way out. When you begin worshiping and reading his word and talking to him in depth about your problems, he begins to show you the answers. He shows you the roots and he shows you the way out. Now, your latest um, documentary film, your newest, is called Transformed, Finding Peace with Your God-Given Gender. We talked about that film uh, again, I don't remember it was a year or two ago, but um, at that time, it's now currently available um, online, uh, YouTube, uh, and that's free of charge. Can you describe for our listeners what Transformed is about and why you produced it? Well, uh, nobody in the Christian world was doing much with the transgender issue. So we wanted to create a uh, teaching resource and a ministry resource for people in that lifestyle so many pastors, they don't have a clue mm-hmm. uh, how to help a transgender person. There's no training in seminaries or Bible colleges. And so they come into their pastorate and they have transgender people show up and they just leave it alone because they don't have any answers. So um, we set out to create a teaching resource for them. And we had 15 interviews with 15 former transgenders, people who have left the lifestyle to follow Christ many of whom have had their surgeries reversed um, in cases where it was possible, mm-hmm. and who now serve Jesus Christ with all their hearts. And I should mention that uh, Transformed as it is available, it can be seen in both English and in Spanish. Now, your first film was called Such Were Some of You. It featured 26 former homosexuals giving their testimonies. It garnered some 32,000 views. It's been translated into 13 different languages. And uh, your second film was called How Do You Like Me Now? When a Child, Spouse, Parent, or Sibling Says They're Gay. And again, this is available in English uh, and Spanish. These resources have helped give understanding to those who are struggling, as well as those who love and want to minister to those who struggle and want to pursue their life in Christ. Um, How have you, uh, what kinds of responses have you received from these resources? Well, uh, the Such Were Some of You, which is our first film, Mm -hmm. uh, is actually available in 11 languages. And uh, it's gotten thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of views on our YouTube page. It's the Pure Passion YouTube page. And the response, if you read the comments, uh, people's lives have been changed. They found Christ. Uh, they found healing by following the example of the people in the film. And the How Do You Like Me Now film, that was created for parents and spouses and children of homosexuals to show them how, how to deal with the, the situation of their loved one. And Joe Dallas uh, guides that film. It's, it's outstanding. Mm-hmm. And then Transformed, of course, um, is 
to help the public as well as the Christian world uh, discover what transgender means, what it is, what causes it, and how Jesus sets people free from it. Now, for our listeners who are um, would like to avail themselves of this resource that's now available to them free, how can they access Transformed and the other uh, two films that you mentioned? Well, if they go to our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash user slash David Kyle Foster, um, they'll find all three films there um, at no cost. We still have the DVDs for those who want a DVD, but uh, they can also watch it online. What do you hope um, will be the result of uh, people watching these resources in an effort to better understand the challenge and better understand what the scripture has to say about these issues? Well, I want people to find Christ first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, I want them to develop an intimate relationship with the Father where he can reveal to them the roots. Now, when we did this Transform film, I interviewed 18 people, 15 of whom are in the film. Every single one of them were sexually abused as a child. So that is a major causal factor for trans um, for transgender people. Their sense of identity, their sense of self, gets completely construed or distorted um, by their experience of being sexually abused. Some of them also have uh, parents or other people in the family system who maybe wanted the opposite sex as a child, and so they treat them as the opposite sex. So if you're being treated as a girl when you're a boy throughout your childhood, that brings a great deal of confusion into your life. Also pornography, um, peer peer pressure, all kinds of things. Uh, If you're rejected in your sexuality and uh, called fag and queer and all those things uh, mitigate against your understanding who you're created to be and the goodness of what your DNA tells you in every cell of your body, it tells you if you're male or female, and the fact that God created you heterosexual. There's a seed of heterosexuality in you, whether you feel it or not. And that seed has gotten damaged or it was not nurtured properly. And so when God the Father begins to show you these roots um, and you pursue him for the supernatural power you need to overcome them, then the transition can begin. How do you address your critics, some of whom are in the church, who suggest that, first of all, it's not possible um, or that it shouldn't be pursued? Um, how do you respond to that that criticism? Uh, those are just activist statements that, bear, um, that simply aren't true. Their, their intention is to say them out loud on all the media outlets, knowing that most people will not look into it. They won't read the studies. They won't listen to the former transgender people, they'll just believe it because they're busy and they don't have time. And if you start teaching that in the school systems and throughout the media, people are simply going to believe it, but it's a big lie. Well, again, I want to encourage our listeners to avail themselves of this resource. I think it's important that we try to understand um, some of the terms that are being used, transgenderism, transsexuals, transvestites, and so on. The other resources that I mentioned, such were some of you, and the uh, how, do we, uh, how do you like me now when a child, spouse, parent, or sibling says they're gay. These are great resources that are provided to help um, individuals, but also the church have a better understanding. And P- Pure Passion Media 
is uh, committed to equipping the church to redemptively minister to those who are trapped in sexual sin and brokenness. And I so appreciate your commitment to providing uh, resources, the ones that we've mentioned and, and so much more. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it with us here today. It's my pleasure. Really appreciate it. God bless you as well. Again, Dr. David Kyle Foster, Pure Passion Media. Their YouTube channel, once again, is youtube.com slash user slash David Kyle Foster. And he spells Kyle with a K, K K-Y-L-E, David Kyle Foster. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Now, we don't usually do this, but I've invited Justin Mansfield and Clark Hilton to join me in this uh, last conversation of today's show to talk about what happened this weekend. As you might recall, Gospel Sing Live took place on uh, in Salem at Riverfront Park, and we had a tremendous time with many of you at our first uh, Southern Gospel Music Festival right here in uh, in our community. So, guys, I wanted to give you an opportunity to weigh in. Was this a fun weekend or what? Oh, definitely it was. Yeah. What did you think, Clark? Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. You know, I especially enjoyed the artists and how approachable they were. First of all, they're great musicians. The music was great. The vocals were great. The venue was wonderful. A, a huge soundstage. Uh, but they were also guys that you just you'd want to have lunch with. They were mm-hmm. friendly and warm and they you know interacted with the crowd. This was really a great music festival. Yeah, it really was. Uh, actually, you mentioning them being really friendly. I was uh, setting up the KPDQ booth. And right next to me was the merch booth for uh, the Tribute Quartet. And the guys from the Tribute Quartet had come down, and un- I was unaware that, that it was actually them because oh. <laughs> I hadn't seen pictures of them before. And so I actually s- started talking to them, and we were joking around. And, yeah, they were really friendly guys and uh, had a had a great time with them. And uh, I know that the crowd definitely responded well to them. Now, when you say the merch booth, for those who aren't, you know, in the business, that's merchandise. So. Merchandise, yes, yes, <laughs> where, they, where they sell their wares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Davis from the Tribute Quartet was given us a bad time the entire evening wanting to know if he was coming back next year. Yeah, because we, we were going <laughs> to announce and did at the end of Gospel Sing Live yeah. who is coming next year. In fact, we've just indicated it's going to happen again next year. We were, of course, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Gospel Sing, the program that's been here on KPDQ for 50 long years. It's the the longest running program that we've had on the station. Mm-hmm. It began with, I think, Daryl Kennedy hosting yeah. it. And in fact, I was talking to one of the folks who came to the event on Friday night. He actually held it live at, a, at an on-site location. They had the musicians right there live. And of course, it's evolved over over time, but it has evolved successfully for 50 years. And that's pretty remarkable when you think about uh, how music has changed over that time. But mm-hmm. Southern gospel music has had staying power all of these years and has a very lo- loyal following. Yeah. But it also has people who have opinions about it, too, which is kind of funny because, you know, it's changed over the years. Yeah. It's not just a bunch of guys uh, standing around a piano anymore. It's gone a little country in some spots. It's gone a little contemporary in other spots. And I think it still keeps a lot of the roots of what what it was originally. But not everyone is always happy with with the way that it has evolved. But, you know, give it time. It'll evolve back into something that was 
closer to what it was originally. Well, and that's the nature of music and creativity. Yeah. It will always morph into something yeah. um, over time. Uh, but I think the, the quality that we have enjoyed in Southern gospel music over the years remains the same. And I think the, the most important thing is the central theme of mm-hmm. Southern gospel music remains the gospel. And I think people have enjoyed that. And that's part of the reason it's had such staying power. Yeah. And that's the thing is that in the end, the, the heart of the music has been the same thing mm-hmm. all these years. And, you know, even through what Daryl Kennedy, Dave Moore, Joe Alcorn, Dan Sheets, and now Clark, you know, we've had a, a good set of hosts that have kept that going and, uh, and a good set of groups that, uh, some of, some of whom are probably still the same groups that we started with just with different members. Yeah. 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 Now I, I should mention for those who aren't familiar with the fact that Clark Hilton is the host of Gospel Sing. How long have you done that? It'll be 11 years in October. Wow. I didn't even realize you've been here that long. Where have I been? <laughs> right across the uh, the glass. The other side of the glass. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we did at the Gospel Sing Live, the concert at Riverfront Park in Salem on Friday night, was announce the fact that this was the first of what we hope will be an annual event mm-hmm. featuring Southern Gospel Music, uh, a take on our Gospel Sing uh, program here on the station. You had the opportunity from the stage on Friday night to announce, Clark, who will be coming next year. Would you do the honors uh, now? Yeah, it's going to be Mark Lowry and Friends. Mark Lowry and Friends coming right back to the Salem yeah. Riverfront Park. And that could bring a lot of different stuff. I mean, he mm-hmm. used, he's been a soloist. He's a comedian as well. Um, he is also used to be a member of the Gaither Vocal yep. Band. So I think you'll find some different styles could be taking place, in fact, in one in one concert. Well, and of him. course, and Friends leaves that door yeah. wide open, who he brings yeah. along with him. Yeah. I think he probably even juggles. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't pull out some bowling pins and start <laughs> juggling, because the guy can do anything. Speaking of yeah. Anthony Davis, he said, I better be one of the friends. <laughs> well, we, we hope that they come back. And I they, should mention... I want to say, the Tribute Quartet was really entertaining. They were they the were. opening mm-hmm. group. They were a funny bunch of guys. They were talented. They, uh, they even did a little piano accompaniment up yep. there. Yep. Yeah. And I should mention that the Gospel Sing Live 2020 is on August the 14th. So mark your calendar, August 14th, 2020, Gospel Sing Live featuring, what is it, Bob, Dave, Frank, Lowry, and Friends. Yeah. <laughs> we had a running joke That was joke the running that. joke that someone was going to mess that up. <laughs> no, yeah. it's going to be Mark Lowry. Yeah. yeah, definitely excited for Mark Lowry. And as Clark was saying, he's been in a lot of things. Gaither Vocal Band, he's toured with the Gaithers on... And uh, yeah, he's kind of an all-around fun guy. And also, uh, a, a little, kind of a little-known fact, you know, one of the most covered Christmas songs, ah. covered meaning meaning a, a song that a lot of people play uh, of the modern day is Mary Did You Know. Mark Lowry song. And Mark Lowry wrote Mary Everybody Did you know. and their dog has done Mary Did yeah, You exactly. Know. Exactly. If you have a mic and you sing and you've done anything at Christmas, chances are at some point you've done that song. Mm-hmm. Beautiful song, beautifully written. So he's also a songwriter in addition to being a gifted musician. So looking yeah. forward to welcoming him to the Salem area for the Pacific Northwest. We had folks come great distances to be at Gospel Sing Live. I talked to a couple of women who had come from... Um, uh, Seattle, I think. Well, Seattle, yeah, beyond that, Spokane. Yeah. But you, you met some folks from Colorado? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, amazing yeah. to me. Yeah. People got emails from the Booth Brothers and, uh, and Tribute Quartet letting them know they were going to be out here. and So they came out here. And they came out here. Yeah. So if you were concerned about making the drive from Portland to, uh, to Salem, 
There are folks coming from Colorado. <laughs> well, I that was a rough can, drive. <laughs> <laughs> hope you can join us next year. Again, Mark Lowry and friends, and that's going to be on Friday night, August the 14th. 2020. Mm-hmm. Now I, you know. And I wanted to say that, too. It was interesting that we didn't just get listeners. We got people that had come from elsewhere who yeah. came to our event who were fans of the bands. We actually had to introduce ourselves as yeah. the sponsoring mm-hmm. station that had had a 50-year program because they had no idea. They had come to follow these bands. Again, very loyal fans. But a lot of people stopped by our booth, too, who have been listening to the gospel sing for decades. Yeah. And uh, have appreciated it all these years. And how fun it is to meet some of our listeners, to KPDQ in general and Gospel Sing in particular. Just a really fun evening. The weather was beautiful. The venue was amazing. And uh, we're looking forward to Gospel Sing 2020. Hope that you will join us. Again, that's going to be on Friday, August the 14th at uh, Salem Waterfront Park. Or is it Riverfront? Riverfront Riverfront. Riverfront Park. So hope you can uh, join us. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate your joining in. Want to give you a quick look at some of what's coming up for the remainder of this week. On Tuesday, we're going to talk with Scott McKnight. He's the author of Reading Romans Backwards, A Gospel of Peace in the Midst of Empire. So we'll find out what he means. I mean, do you have to have special skills, superpowers? What does he mean reading Romans backwards? We'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, Also on Thursday, we'll talk with Mary Graber. She's the author of Debunking Howard Zinn. Now, if you're scratching your head wondering who is Howard Zinn, the subtitle of the book might help. Uh, Fill that in, exposing the fake history that turned a generation against America. So this is a man of significant influence that you probably have never heard of. So that's coming up on Thursday. And uh, we're anticipating a fun Friday program live right here in studio. So I hope you will stick around with us through the end of the week. I want to thank uh, James Blend for producing today's program, even though he's away on vacation. Clark Hilton for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.